Welcome to the Old Chats Pod with me, Amesha here. And me, James Factor. This podcast will tackle the taboo topic of mental health in a raw, honest and jovial way. With two good mates who've met in London talking about their own mental health hiccups with some help from some special guests along the way. Welcome to the second episode of All Chats. This is the George Floyd Chat. Here we are joined by friend and teammate Lawrence Anfo White, Hackney born and bred to Ghanaian parents, as well as studying in the USA. He discusses his own personal experiences related to the colour of his skin, his own opinion on the events triggered by the death of George Floyd, and how this last week has been his largest mental health hiccup to date. Easy factor, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, Mesh. How are you? Not too bad. It's been, week. Well, let's be honest, it's been a pretty weird week, hasn't it? Globally, everything. And I think in terms of me and you, we kind of had an itinerary of what we wanted to speak about this week, next week, whatever. But after everything that's gone on, especially in America with George Floyd and everything that's kind of come across the pond, I think anything we talk about is pretty relevant. But that was just how we both kind of agreed as well this week, didn't we? The whole scenario and events yeah, for sure. has kind of elicited the whole race question, but I think we both kind of wanted to talk about this at some point anyway. Uh, I've always said to you that the racial abuse I received as a kid was probably the catalyst of my mental health hiccups. So we were always going to talk about it. It's not as if we just talk about it now because it's relevant, but that's just kind of what we're trying to do this week. And sooner than planned, if we've got a special guest. Yeah, I mean, you can tell we've never done guests before. That's juicy. I feel as if it's blind date. What's your name and where'd you come from? Yeah, let's just go. So we've got Lawrence Anfo White, better known as Larry, in our team. He's uh, agreed to come on and give some thoughts and opinions about the subject. So we're just going to chat to him for this episode and um, we'll just take it from there. So I'm going to introduce him now. Let him just explain who he is to you in a bit more detail and then and then we'll start so over to you Lawrence. I appreciate it so yeah as Factor said name's Lawrence Anthony White born and bred Londoner uh, from the east end of London Hackney kind of the two uh, first generation immigrants both from Ghana so obviously black lad and these two I know through rugby we've all played at the HSC for some time now I think I've known Factor for four years and Meshi I think you you I've known for five years yeah. um, and obviously all very close on the team and you know kind of gone from there and I think when me and Factor spoke this week about obviously a topic like this I think we were both pretty embarrassed to even mention that we didn't even know you like we didn't know where you're from yeah. I knew you were African but Africa's a fucking big continent like we didn't know you know, and me and Factor both like yeah. the page were like this is actually really embarrassing I don't think we're the first two people this week who's probably realised that yeah I mean it's an interesting one, right? There are lots of things that we as humans don't always think about or ask and kind of keep in the back of our mind, even with people that we consider good friends and we spend a lot of time with. And, you know, it's, it goes both ways, you know. Um, I'm sure if you asked me, I'd, I'd be missing some information in, in the, the vitals for, for both of you. It's a very well. modest answer, Laurie. And so you... Born and bred in London, Larry, yeah. Born and bred in London. Parents are Ghanaian, you say? Yeah. Are they born and bred there and then moved over? Yeah, so both my parents kind of moved here in their respective uh, mid-20s uh, and they met in London 
and then obviously they had me and then we I have two little sisters as well so they've obviously been in the UK for a long time I'm 30 years old now so they've been here probably 34 35 years um at a minimum um and so we kind of come from you know hackney nowadays is, is a very different place from maybe where 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 i grew up but back when i grew up it was pretty pretty tough area your statistics uh based on coming from hackney were potentially worse than from other parts of london at the very least if not the whole country i, I don't know comparative to the rest of the country um and kind of background wise you know my you know my parents first generation immigrants and my dad worked as a cabbie for, for most of his life and then worked for the railways um my mom's a trained teacher and she kind of went back and forth um as a teacher kind of had a love-hate relationship with it uh so would do that or kind of work as a carer so you know pretty working class kind of poorer working class type family who kind of just live your standard life and try to Im- improve their lot in life, uh, the standard way that most people do in this country. How'd you get into rugby? Like, I should really know. Like, as Meshi was saying, you know, obviously it's not, we don't know much about each other's lives sometimes. You know, we show up on the Saturday, we play, we go out, have beers, and then, you know, that's that's kind of the day. But, you know, I am, as Meshi was saying, embarrassed to say I don't know a lot about so, um, Very late comer to rugby. I started rugby age 19, and I actually started out rugby in the states so kind of a little bit more personal story it i obviously as i said coming from where i came from i ended up going to school in london to a school called city of london boys on a full academic scholarship and you know city's pretty a really good school very middle class type school so went there did pretty well there but city's all kind of football sports wise but from city i kind of essentially got got um got into uni in America and I ended up going to uni in America again, um, you know, through what they call financial aid and kind of amounts similarly to, to uh, a scholarship, slight technical different differences. But then while I was out there, you know, Dartmouth, which is where I went, just happened to have a very big, you know, foot, football, soccer and, and rug, rugby culture. And so I was in and around those groups, just naturally friends wise uh, and, you know, um, a good friend of mine from that time, um, an English lad who kind of played rugby all his life, went to St. Paul's. He eventually kind of dragged me out. And, you know, it was a pretty natural thing for me to pick up rugby. I'd kind of always been bigger lad uh, amongst my, my year group, whatnot. Always pretty physical football player. It was just that rugby wasn't necessarily an option per se. We, you know, it just wasn't something that was played by kids who grew up in my area. And then because City didn't play rugby either, that didn't give me a natural in either. So if I'd ever wanted to pick up rugby at that age, it would have had to been kind of um, my parents and myself making a concerted effort to find a club somewhere in the area and go play. And again, there just aren't that many clubs in East London where they yeah, have kind of right. kids, a kid set up or a, kid, a teenager set up, or at least not at that time. Yeah, sure. I guess, um, so we were, you know, we were going to, as Meshi said, speaking about what's happening with George Floyd at the moment and the attention it's got in the news. I knew that you studied uh, in America, Dartmouth. So just be curious to know what was your time like there? What was your experience of it before we get on to, you know, the George Floyd stuff? Just how did you find it there? And then comparing it to your upbringing in London and the UK, what was, 
the similarities or differences yeah, um, between the two you found? I mean, I, I loved my time at Dartmouth. I guess that's the first thing to say. It was um, an incredible experience. Um, obviously seeing a lot more of the world than you probably would have imagined, you know, age 10, 10 or 12 coming from, from where it did. Um, in terms of my experience, I mean, Dartmouth is a very strange place because it's uh, a very small university which is kind of hidden in in uh, the middle of nowhere. We like to say bumfuck nowhere. And it's kind of very self-isolated. So, you know, you get onto campus and campus is your entire life. You kind of forget about the rest of the world, which, you know, has its benefits and, and, and its drawbacks. But the one thing I'd say, especially, you know, I know we're going to speak, speak a lot about races. One of the most interesting things for me um, about my time, especially at Dartmouth was, I felt that I came across or I was identified as English before I was identified as black. And I say that because, you know, my time, during my time, I was very, very close to kind of two or three other lads, right? And the group of us, it was essentially myself, black lad from from England, um, a a very good friend of mine called Micah, who's a black lad from Louisiana, uh, Waylon, who's another uh, lad from Louisiana, but he's white, and then Stoyan, who's um, from Norway. Um, so he's another European and he's, he's a white lad as well. And so, you know, we're, we're these lads, we do a lot of the same things, you know, same fraternities, you know, similar sports, kind of always in and around doing the same things. My experience and Micah's experience on campus, even though shared and even though very similar because of our interest in the things we did, we're still different. I, you know, and we've talked about this at times, there are still instances where I think, if you walk into a situation and someone is maybe takes you uh, is acting apprehensively towards you as a black man, I, I already know, I know what that's like. I, I know exactly what's going on as people click. They hear me speak. It's all of a sudden, oh, where are you from? Everyone's super interested in, oh, what the hell are you right. doing here? There's almost a less threatening aspect of, of you based on your English accent, right? Americans kind of often assume or kind of link our English accents to being smart and being like funny and, you know, jovial, et cetera, or whatever, uh, being posh. And so I always felt like that gave me a slightly different experience to Micah and maybe allowed me to get away with things in a way that Micah couldn't or like just approach situations in a way that that Micah couldn't um and then you know you come here and it's almost you know Micah's visited me here and I I, you know I won't put words in his mouth I wonder if he feels the same thing when he's here if as a black man if people here he's American they treat him differently than when they do back home but obviously when, when I'm back here with my with my normal English accent it's kind of back to normal with some of the same prejudices for people who don't know you, uh, et cetera. It's weird you say that. Like, I had the same. So when I had a year abroad in Canada, I always remember I was in the queue to McDonald's. And I think in Canada especially, there's a lot of like Arabs um, and they thought exactly the same. And then once you start speaking, they're like, oh my God, you're English? Like, do you know Prince Harry? It's the same thing. Like, It's mad how being English, people change their tune and obviously – like you said, you've experienced a different as a, a black English as a black English person compared to your mate who's black American. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And for like, just for like me and and other people listening on the pod who 
you might not really need, you sort of know what that feels like because I mean me and Mesh have talked about mental health and we've tried to describe you know when you're going through a bad patch what that's like for people who may not have done what it, what is that like when you um, came back to England and that experience it's such a hard thing to explain sometimes because it's it's not all the time right it's not like you walk around all the time um feeling like someone is slighting you or that someone's out to get you or not but there are just instances where something happens and either you now it clicks something in your mind as to well what does that person actually think or believe and are they kind of acting in this particular moment this certain way because you know no you know the the days of out and out racism are kind of done in terms of in terms of in a big group if someone were to turn around and, and call you a racial slur especially with your friends around, someone's more likely to call that out, right? It, you know, it still happens, but mm. that's the most likely and most yeah. obvious instance in which someone is going to get called out for their, for their racism, right? Key here is a lot of what's going on. It, it's not yeah. just about that. We know it still exists, but the key is there's just so, so much insidious racism and kind of under the boil things that happen that often people don't appreciate and often that as a black person you appreciate because it's either happened so much or you've been taught to watch out for that and you know the truth is it's just mentally fatiguing um it's probably the biggest way i would describe it i think you know different folks find it you know to affect them in different ways i just personally get a very much a sense of like i, I honestly can't be bothered to deal with this bullshit again um and i think the way i often deal with it rightly or wrongly is I, I can often kind of step away from people and if you've kind of shown me what I, I would potentially deem to be your true colours I might be a little bit more standoffish and you know that relationship just isn't going to be the same but especially I think for a lot of black people that's you learn to do that because you get tired of fighting the fight and tired of kind of making a big deal out of what to others seems very small and so you just get on with it so that you don't have to deal with it all the time. Do you think you get tired because you don't see change or do you think you get tired because it just keeps happening? Um, I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix. I think, you know, I, I, because of, you know, generally speaking, where I went to school, you know, both, both the major schools I went to were by far predominantly, you know, white, middle slash upper class. And even, you know, our rugby team is the same. You get tired of having to explain what's going on right you get tired of having to explain how what can be deemed a little slight is actually probably a little bit more per 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 pervasive and explain how it's a build up of things and you know i think people uh, sorry let, let me speak for myself i think especially like in an environment where you've woken up on saturday everyone's had a long you know long, long work week rugby's an, an, an escape for us right so in, in the instances of, of playing rugby, if we go out and we have a situation, unless it is kind of really in your face and, you know, I feel like something really needs to be said and, and a stand be made, I often might let something go and just walk away from the situation and move on and then kind of like surround, you know, obviously just go off with you lads or anyone else and, see them and just like go about our business with the people that I actually want to be out with or whatever. But, you know, that I think what's happening is 
this has kind of been a build up and those type of frustrations exist and you learn to kind of like you know go with the peaks and troughs of it all at the moment people especially with everything else that's going on it's almost like how can we be going through this pandemic this point where you know there aren't even as many people on on the streets potentially etc and black men are still getting killed in circumstances where they can't by people who are technically supposed to be protecting and serving and so it kind of all of the other things kind of boil over you know it's kind of the police brutality is almost you know it's just the the final nail which has allowed all these things to come up but these are things people felt all the time right then it's alluding to the george floyd situation that's going on now it's obviously for me i mean me personally I don't think I've seen footage like that. I'm sure it does exist. I'm sure it's ha- it happens all the time and it doesn't get the, the media attention that this has. But I think like a lot of people, it, it was very shocking, obviously, but the most shocking thing I think I've seen live happening. Um, and that's obviously, you know, that's triggered the, a large social media response. And how do you find that going forward? You know, because there's a risk that this kind of, becomes the kind of social media trend for a few a couple of weeks and then it goes back to like you know we we will make a sort of effort but not in the same way how have you how do you think this is going to change things so far from your um yeah so you know i i have a group chat which is kind of filled with a bunch of the like eight or nine of the lads that i kind of grew up with in the hackney area and whatnot so it's all black lads mostly from you know either ghana or nigeria kind of um historically and that a question like that was posed where the question was why do we think this is kind of kicked off in a much bigger way than previously because like you said th- these things have happened that there is footage out footage out there i mean there are stories just as harrowing especially in the states but you know all over the place so it's not new especially to us i do think there's an aspect of everyone being at home and not able to kind of just continue with their normal lives of going out for a beer or etc has really focused minds um in terms of social media i i'm i'm on you know most of the social media outlets but i'm not necessarily a big user per se i'm more of a a creeper (laughs) uh but you know got it all but very rarely post but you know i see what's going on i think look i think there's more than enough criticism to say that people are just following the fad and you know they put their black boxes up um, myself included and others but what what are you going to continue to do what are you either going to do in a very personal way to make sure that your behavior has changed or to make sure that you are being um an ally to the movement or you know if you're in a position to make more than just a very small personal change but something more systemic then great as well i think you have to be willing to to say that some people are just going to do it for show and they're going to move on. But that's fine. That doesn't stop you from continuing to hope and continue to support the movement. I think one of the key things is kind of black people actually trying to, trying to bring people along on the journey. Because I, I, I think humans obviously are very naturally selfish and things will come up in life and you're your um your attention might be focused anywhere so I, i'm very interested to see how black people both in the states and in the the uk 
how we continue to try and organize ourselves and be better at having a a voice that is unified um and then the key there is we can have that but that's only as good as the voice that our allies has and the willingness of allies to step in and actually make change you know fundamentally we're still a small percentage of the people in this country so every single black person in the country could you know decide they're voting this way or they're going to try and make this change that only continues to work and make change if people in power who don't look like me who don't look like my family agree and our allies and are willing to help and to work so i think that's the thing i'm most interested in and so you know you two obviously sent me a message earlier on this week um as to whether or not i'd like to join and i'm not gonna lie I, i've been kind of closely paying attention to what's going on in the hac to see how people have been reacting to what's going on there and what people are doing or, or not doing and it, I, I was actually very, very happy that you lot reached out. I think the night before I'd kind of been talking to my friends, like, I, I don't see enough going on at the HAC. We're a club of how much? Yeah. 100 lads, probably. Um, and, you know, how many? Probably four or five black lads, and then maybe another four or five lads who are people of color. It's that. It's right? that. If that. And now I think, you know, those people kind of all have found a, a place within the club. And I think, obviously, the natural numbers of rugby determine that. But the manner in which we interact with each other outside of just rugby, especially in a time like that, is something which is of real interest to me, right? I, I've definitely been watching um, closely to see what's going on with the club um, and what our response is as an institution which a lot of people care about and a lot of people devote a lot of time to, um, you know, I, I don't know, like, I, I'm sure there are some who, who think, oh, it's not the position of, you know, a rugby club or this or that to, to get involved. But I, I'll tell you this now, I, I can 100% speak for myself and, and I feel pretty confident that speaking about my, in, you know, my inner circle of other black friends, like, there's enough anger and there's enough just tiredness about the situation that I, I I don't give a shit what you are about or not. Like you're sitting on the fence, and at this point, we've deemed sitting on the fence to be against. And so, yeah. Um, so I was pretty happy that you lot reached out, and that's why I was willing to do it because I think you, you two kind of made the biggest effort from the club, um, and it definitely made me proud of the club and you know the people in the club. Yeah, right. Well, I think yeah, we me, me and Fox both said we just wanted to give people a voice, and I think it's probably a bit of an education for on both of our parts as well. So I, I studied American studies at uni and obviously did a lot of American history, like slavery, all that sort of things. But I don't think I've got many black friends. Or like, I don't know. Obviously, that was years ago. Like, that was that was that at the height of the racial tensions. Um, but then, obviously, now, nowadays, I just don't have many black friends that I can talk to about their personal experience. And I think facts are the same as well. Yeah, it's the same, yeah. It's just, like... Obviously, we approach, like we were talking, Mesh and I, about how we approach trying all, all of these topics. We try and approach from mental health as a starting point. And so that obviously, you know, just just because this is kind of topical now, it doesn't, we don't want to detract it from that that link, obviously, to you. And, and it's, we're asking about your uh, opinion about it and how you feel rather than, 
you know, a broad brushstroke kind of what's going on. So, I mean, we'll obviously get, we can get into that more and we can talk about it late, later on on this, on the pod, but that's kind of the springboard for it. But um, it's just good to hear you talk to us. And I think back to, I mean, I, we've never spoken about it. You know, I don't think I've ever asked you before. It, it wasn't, it's not because of like lack of interest. It was, I think it was just lack of kind of knowledge. And the one thing, the one thing I've done, I haven't done a lot, you know, out of this, but I did um, try and get in touch about the the schools and the education and, and the black education that doesn't go on at schools. And I don't know how you feel, Mesh, or um, when you're studying at school, but I just didn't know, you know, and it, it wasn't a subject at all, this kind of discussion. And I had to learn about it. I read Akala's book, Natives. It's about class in the ruins of empire. And that kind of led to, to more of this thing. So I'm, I'm grateful for Meshi to, for, you know, suggesting it and going ahead with it because prior to reading that and getting a glimpse, I wouldn't have really, maybe like the other people at the HAC, that maybe they don't feel the necessity or the, the urgency to do it because they don't get the full picture of, of just how systemic this, this is and, and how it's affecting people that badly now. But, um, but I think, yeah, we were just saying, you know, how do you, either the HSC or rugby or however you want to approach it, how do you think they fit into this? Are they behind society on, on this discussion? Or is it, do you think society in general yeah, is just I mean, behind my, on my the whole would just be that society is just behind on the whole thing. And I think there are very few, uh, I would struggle to, to name any um, industries that, are on top of it they're all behind in their own ways you know um my group of friends you know a lot of them are in the music industry um and you know the music industry is more and more dominated by black culture by black music and they still have horror stories as to what's happening they still have horror stories as to exactly what the building looks like especially considering where a lot of the yeoman work is coming within the industry um and then equally it, it, for rugby obviously which is kind of where we're closer you know I, I was thinking about this the other day you know i like i said i'm a pretty late convert to rugby so been playing and watching you know properly for the last 10 10 11 years and i still get goosebumps and feel incredibly proud when i see england go out and i see itoje see sinclair who's my favorite player um Ellis Gens, etc. And I'm 30 years old. I'm a 30-year-old who's done a fair amount in my life and has probably, I don't think anyone has ever accused me of lacking confidence. So if I'm getting goosebumps and feeling proud at seeing that lot run out for England, think about what that means to a six or seven-year-old in the country, black lad who's maybe just getting started in rugby, right? And this is why consistently what you hear in these conversations is representation like kids being able to see people who look like them in positions of power and in positions that they they might be able to 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 hope for right so for, from a rugby perspective it's continuing to try and you know make sure that rugby is accessible to any and everyone in the country regardless of you know race but also obviously you know we all know that rugby's problem is as much race as it is class and making it open to everyone from whatever background and that people have fair opportunities to kind of prove themselves on the pitch rather than because 
they went to so-and-so school, you know, they, they have to live in this town, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think kind of taking this away from rugby more to, you know, I, I work for a big bank and I think for most people, that same idea holds true for wherever you work or whatever you're interested in. You want to be able to see people like you in your teams, in positions of leadership to know it's possible and to just like understand sometimes where you're coming from, you know, understand what's going on and to be able to have a conversation and to be able to reach into that part of your history, your background, etc. Right. If it's all just the, the exact mm-hmm. same, you know, homogenous kind of people, you end up having the exact same conversation because, you know, there, there's just nowhere else for the conversation to go often. Um, so yeah, those are probably like the big things for me, just representation at the base level and then also people getting into positions of power. We were mentioning around um, mental health and just exactly how people have been feeling about it. I think I, I very much yo-yoed. And so I listened to your, your podcast uh, earlier on in the week, um, your first one. And obviously you were both talking about your own experiences with men- mental health experiences. And I was trying to think as to my own personal experience. And, and I was thinking, have I really had anything that I, I, I would kind of feel like was a big episode or anything? And, and funny enough, I actually think this is probably the biggest. I, I've been so up and down with anger, the feeling of anger at various points this week, depending on what's coming out of the news and what's not. And I'm a pretty chill, level-headed yeah. person, you know, just like I'm very easy come, easy go, as I, I'm sure both of you would attest to, generally speaking. Um, and there were just days where it was just like, I just couldn't, I really couldn't be bothered to do anything other than the base of what I had to do at work or, or whatever. And then the only really people that I was talking to were the lads, you know, that I grew up with who, who kind of were all feeling the same anger, if not more anger at times. Um, and so again, you know, I, I'm a person who can relatively easily let things kind of run off my back. Just, just you know, extrapolate that to the millions of people out there who maybe aren't the same. Uh, uh, and how this must be feeling for them um, and you know millions of youngsters who are seeing all these images and seeing all of this fuss kicked off in the world and don't necessarily understand why um, black youngsters in particular and don't understand why their you know big brothers big sisters their dads mums are kind of up in a range right, right now and you know that's exactly why I kind of expect any and everyone to not sit on on the fence including you know, ourselves as rugby players, even though we're kind of small in, in, in the scheme of things. When you say anger, Larry, what, what do you reckon that's anger because something like this has happened again or anger because people aren't doing anything? Because my, my own personal opinion is, I hope I'm right here, I don't think this whole incident's like a flash in the pan. Like, there's, no. so there's something about what's happened over the past week. I like to think something big is going to happen at the end of it. It honestly, so you know, your initial anger is at the video itself and about the very specific case. But then the anger really comes from the responses, and you know, there obviously the the um, what happened in the states kicked off. You know, there were protests, and and then 
you know, at various points her protests turned in, in, in into violence. And the response from various people and various parts of media, et cetera, or on your Twitter, whatnot, it just, it honestly drives you crazy. And, and it, it can be so hard, you know, you want to tell yourself to turn it off and to ignore it, but it can be so hard. And you're kind of sat at home screaming that, but that's not the fucking point. But that's, you know, you know, people are saying, oh, oh, you should protest peacefully. It's just like, People have been fucking protesting peacefully for fucking 50, 60 years and no one has fucking given yeah. a shit, right? Like, when you hear things like that or you read things like that, it becomes very hard not to just get angry because it feels like willful ignorance. Well, Martin Luther King was the king of, king of peaceful protest and he still got assassinated. That's the same thing. You know, and, you know, if you were to sit down and you were to kind of list the... The things that have happened, it becomes very hard not to feel very, very angry about the way things have gone. Over, not over the last 50 years, over the last 400 years yeah. for black people all across the world, especially in Western liberal democracies. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really been the thing. It's just like a constant just reminder that, you know, there are some people who are willfully ignorant and there are some people who just don't care because they're not on our side. And you know, I think people always say that they would much rather have someone be like blatantly racist to them because it, at least you know where you stand, right? There's nothing worse than those who kind of claim to be allies or whatnot, and then they spew things like, oh, but I just wish they weren't, they weren't, you know, the, the protests weren't violent, or I just wish that this or that. It's just like, how, what would your response to being killed? To being systematically killed, be like re realistically. If every day you went out and you thought your life was in danger, would you really give a shit about right. protesting in a peaceful manner, or would you care about protesting to the point that someone feels the absolute and utter necessity to make a change? Mm. And that, I mean, if if in any doubt as to why things are the way they are right now in terms of the protest, that's essentially the point at which people have felt right it's we have we've tried to do as many of the things as people say you should do protest peacefully etc and this there's no response um taking it a little bit back to america i think you know one of the big things that's been popping up recently over the last couple of days is kind of colin kaepernick um who was an american quarterback and he originally kind of was protesting against police brutality you know, talk about four or five years ago, and he was doing it by kind of taking a, a knee mm -hmm. when the uh, anthem was being sung and, and, and the flag was being waved uh, at American football games. And he got insane amounts of shit. He basically got blackballed because he did that because so many people were unhappy and felt like he was, he was protesting incorrectly and that he was disrespecting the flag. Now, mm. you compare kneeling in front of the flag to make a point and to open a wider conversation to what's going on now. That happened four or five years ago. Absolutely nothing happened about it. In fact, people chased him out of his chosen profession and they ridiculed him uh, and et cetera. So what's the next step? Yeah. Right. And, and this is kind of the fundamental problem. And this is why I think no matter where you are in the world, there's so much anger about it because the anger is a feeling of we, We've been saying this for a long time, but nothing's changing. And 
in fact people weren't believing us uh, or some people weren't believing us at the time so, yeah. I think it's a situation as well a lot of people run away from it because it's such a big topic or like like when you said you didn't know if people couldn't speak to you this week like, like with a lot of things uncomfortable conversations people I think are just scared of walking on eggshells like they're just but I think you're right in saying that as long as you're having this conversation like good's going to come out of it yeah it's it's part the 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 lack of conversation from everyone around it I think in, in as Meshi said in in all, not just this case but in in similar cases as well is is part of the problem and it's people like not being confident of coming forward and just and just talking about it and if if they it's an environment now where if people are ignorant there's there's less excuse for people to be ignorant about these things but when they are and they and they maybe have you know tried to you know google a bit and they've looked into it but obviously as you said now because of lockdown there's no real excuse you know people have time to look into it that's why maybe the anger is bigger than it would be otherwise but if if some isn't sure about it then i guess it's coming forward and asking about it and and starting yeah. a conversation and that's kind of mental health is kind of taboo it should and we talk about it here we want to encourage others to talk about it race is the same it's something that you want to see spoken about more in in clubs in in work in in every area so that these kind of the silences which are making things worse don't don't happen as much is that that's the kind of the case no i 100 percent agree i think um i think you know there, there's an element of self-educating yourself and if in doubt asking someone who you think might be able to help you out and just being being honest about what you what you're looking for and then having the openness of mind to listen to what they're saying and to try and fully understand where they're coming from and why they're saying what they're saying and not kind of poo-pooing anything because their experience is obviously very different. But like, you know, I, and again, when you hear, it's not like it's one person who says this happened to right. me or two, right? If millions of people are saying, this is our general experience, there's probably some truth, you know? Yeah. There's probably some truth somewhere there. And, and it's about just, I guess, having the compassion to put yourself in that position not that you will you know that i can't really imagine it to an extent but i can still try you know and that's kind of i guess messy agree as well that if you've been i guess the mental health element has allowed us to get onto this discussion because we kind of know what it's like to think about you might not get the whole picture of something but you still just go along with what someone else is saying and you don't, don't, and even if it's if you don't like what you're hearing, and you don't think it quite adds up, don't become defensive and shut it down. And I yeah. think that's it's with the social media element going on. That's what people are doing, aren't they? I guess they're just shutting down the discussion and and trying to find ways out which make it simpler to be silent and, and just say it's not an issue. And that's that's obviously something that needs to be needs to be addressed in society. No, hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. Um, I think one of the interesting things will also be exactly what happens, not only from kind of the personal aspect that we talked about about individuals, but what happens at a big kind of governmental level. And I'm sure that all of us are kind of watching with yeah. with a bated breath as to exactly how political parties and institutions react to 
what's going on. What What do you think does need to happen then? Because right? uh, you've you've seen you've seen America like America have they have their their police brutality. We have police brutality in the UK. They come out much more viscerally with the racism that's happening, maybe more so than the UK. But obviously, there's there's still issues, massive issues with the UK that people are looking to the US and trying to get out of looking at the UK. Just focusing on the UK for now, what would you say is the way? Yeah, forward? I mean, look, I'm sure there are people who uh, who would know much better than me involved this. I'm most interested to see how, especially young people, because you know, I think demographically, the people who are involved in the movement are generally speaking trend younger and, and seem to get it. There's a real element of how can we do a better job of merging our voices and making sure that we turn out to everything, to all the little things, right? You know, to not just, you know, a Labour Party, you know, uh, leadership election, you know, no, just turn out to that one vote, you know, turn out to every vote. There, there are lots of votes during the course of the year for things as small as, you know, you'll cancel. You know, but all of these things add up, right? If you look at the the story of black people in most of the Western liberal democracies, they're as much associated with race as well as kind of the structural elements of people being kind of shunted to one or two council boroughs and those being neglected, and therefore the education systems and those systems being neglected, right? The systemic issues which come which you can see at a political level which one would hope can be changed if more of the right people are engaged there and willing and those who aren't necessarily involved are willing to engage and go out and do the right thing and vote and to pay attention to what's going on and maybe to vote a little less selfishly right (laughs) and this is a really hard thing you know I, i get the i get the feeling of voting on your personal issue of I don't know, let, let's say taxes, which is probably like the, the most, the biggest example. But there are other things that governments do is probably my argument. Um, and, you know, there's lots of arguments and I've had some real good debates with people, you know, all over the place and in the HAC as to like, what's the best way to deal with kind of some of the structural arguments, uh, the stru- structural issues that people of color and people from lower economic backgrounds face and we might disagree but have those conversations let let you know keep those conversations at the forefront and let's find solutions you know i i i think you know i might think this is a solution but i have about as much chance of being wrong as the person who thinks the opposite but the key is having those debates and having the having the will to try and fix things. Um, and sometimes I think we get, we got bogged down in, in some in bullshit basically and things which are just like, why are we dealing with that? Um, but yeah, personal. Larry for MP. I mean, I think our Saturday nights in the North Coat preclude me you know, uh, an MP. <laughs> fake, fake news, we'll, we'll rubbish it. If they come with any stories, we'll, we'll get them quiet. I wanted to ask actually, like, um, have you been back to Ghana? And if you have, like, how many times have you been been back? So, I mean, I haven't been back for uh, 14 years, which is a big point of contention with my parents. 
the uh, the plan was to go back, you know, um, within the next year. So I actually, I lived in Ghana for two years from age eight to 10. And then the last time I was back was back in when I was 16. Um, so obviously it's been, been a long time, but my family go out a lot, right? So like my dad and mum will often go out there for, for a month or two at a time um, at some point during the course of the year. And then my little sisters have gone out there for Christmas a couple of times. Um, so my family's still pretty heavily linked to Ghana and kind of very, very much has a Ghanaian feel. Like if you, if you ever came to my parents' place, you know, they, they speak, um, they speak fancy to each other. Um, they kind of address us in fancy if they're upset with us. Um, uh, so yeah, um, still a link there, but I haven't been back for a while. What, what were you having for dinner, Larry? When me and Sam <laughs> come over after all this, what were we having for dinner? How, 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 how's your spice tolerance? Awful. I've cut my I can handle it. Yeah, I'd get a vanilla. <laughs> oh, okay, we'll have to find something that uh, that that fact could do as well. But yeah, um, I think the normal thing is like jollof rice, and there's always yeah, nice. there's always a there's a, a steady argument in the African community as to who creates the best jollof rice. My answer is my mother, and no one <laughs> no one's gonna change my mind. Is there a guy? Is there a Ghanaian community in Hackney and East London? I mean. Yes, there there is. I mean, there used to be a bigger one, but you know, Hackney is always changing. Um, I think um, I think the community's kind of moved a little bit more kind of uh, eastward. Um, but yeah, I mean, as with anything, there often is a there's often like a, a kind of a a sizable community in various parts of the country, uh, and it feels like your own kind of mini Ghana and family friends and whatnot um i you know my parents were heavily involved in the Ghanaian community but then we went to church at church which was predominantly nigerian and so a lot of my close friends are nigerian so kind of still involved kind of culturally there as well just always seeing that that lot and being over to their them and their families etc yeah just from for me i was finally just on on the education side of it because we were talking a bit about that earlier i don't know the curriculum in you know the UK from my experience from what I've read up on a bit and found out about what schools are doing now they, they don't do a lot about uh, the empire they don't do a lot about the wind rush especially but also going before that you know and they don't do a lot about you know the contribution that black Britons have made to the country in any um, detail at all really I just got this from from Akala he, he talked about how his community taught him a lot about that influence to make sure that it counterbalanced what they they knew their kids would get taught in in English schools about you know the the, the empire being solved by you know Wilberforce and slavery getting done and dusted and that was it. Did you have anything like that at all? And and how have you got that knowledge and experience about the situation that maybe other people yeah, wouldn't have? Um, yeah, unfortunately, no. It is the, the answer to whether or not we had anything like that within my community. I think it's something that that people suffer from all the time that you know the <laughs> the history that we're taught is definitely cherry picked and, and if you even if you do come across kind of a large aspect of the 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 poorness of the black experience often we concentrate on the american aspect of it and it's almost like oh the americans were the ones who were really bad or maybe you'll do apartheid it's like oh it's south african but we gloss over our own um or, or you know our own part to play in that relatively quickly um and 
whenever we do talk about the empire, it, it's often talked about in kind of um, in in a manner in which it, it's kind of almost like we miss the days of the empire and in yep. England or, or Britain having that sway all over the world, right? Um, so that is most certainly a problem. Um, in terms of how I learn about all this stuff, I mean, on, on a personal level, it's just kind of my own reading because I'm a big politics and, and history history geek. A lot of the stuff that I read, not only after secondary school, but during uni, et cetera, has kind of led me down that path. And then I think with the advent of social media and, and Twitter accounts and whatnot, this information is there, kind of, and you're more likely to come across accounts and whatnot, which might lead you down a path, like, you know, a path where where you're doing a, a bit of research for, for your own. But you kind of just have to keep your eyes open and be willing to do the research, is what I'd say. Um, and then, obviously, for, from a more fundamental level, there there has to be serious conversations as to exactly what we're teaching people and how we teach them that. Um, and that kind of goes back to the systemic problems within the system um all across the country yeah for sure it's definitely i just remember you know you'd learn about the nazis and how bad they were and then you learn about henry the eighth and his wives but you don't nothing about not just the african continent but just you know india and these other areas i think that's a huge huge gap in 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 british teaching 100 and i think you know one of the key things is it's not just about like sitting there and being like oh, the British were bad and they did this and what that, right? Like, the, the point is trying to kind of have a big picture analysis of, okay, exactly how and why did black people end up in this country? Okay, and then how were they treated in the first, you know, two, three hundred years? Okay, how does that potentially show you why certain things are the way they are today? If you're taught that and you kind of delve into those systemic issues, at a young age, just generally speaking, that probably gives you a greater a greater understanding of exactly why things are the way they are, exactly why we have you know black people might have a relationship with uh, police mm. that they do right now, right? That understanding of those systemic issues is much more likely to end up in you being an ally and trying to help right wrongs than if you're taught absolutely nothing. And then at age 30, you know, all of a sudden you see all the news that people are saying, well, essentially we've been, we've been four steps behind since the day we were born because of this, this, and this. And all of a sudden yeah. you're like, what are you talking about? I was born, you were born, we, we, we were the same. It's like, not, not really. Yeah. And then they can't handle it when they get to that, yeah. you know, when it comes out and they start to make excuses and they say like, oh, it's violent and all of that. And it's harder to, to get the understanding there, I guess. 100%. And, and that's, you know, that's why kind of representation, even in education of exactly how people came to where they are as groups, etc. It's important. It, it's, again, representation and makes, makes people more understanding of each other's plight and each other's background. What's your opinion on like racist banter, especially in like the sporting environment? It's always just, I like, me personally, sometimes I've, like, I've found it tricky and stuff. The way I kind of justify it is like with your mates, it's always... It's, I think it's fine with like your best mates, your good mates, but it's when someone who doesn't know you, obviously like strangers, that's when it's like, that's not banter. But Yeah, I mean, banter is a real trick, tricky one, right? Because rightly or wrongly, I think that the world in which we exist, often people 
definitely overstepped the mark with their banter, right? But the, the excuse or, or or the manner in which we justify that is it's within a small group. It's with your really close mates and they realise that you don't mean anything about it. So, uh, you know, taking that aside, you know, the, the level banter you have with your really close mates, I guess, is up to you. The only thing I'd say about that is, one, if you say something that you think that someone who did not know you, if they heard you say it, to, even if it was to your friend, that they would be mortally offended and willing to do something about it, you're probably, you've probably overstepped the mark way too much, right? I'd also say, you know, I'd, I'd cotton on to what you said there, Amesh. There is an aspect, especially in a team, and, and this is where it gets tricky, right? So you lads, you know, like I said, known you lot for four or five years, very close, you know, even if there's not rugby going on, there's a good chance that we'll meet each other for a drink or go out to right. that, you know what I'm saying? So like, we have a very close relationship. You might say something to me, right? And then a newer lad or someone else hears it and they cotton on to it. And it's like, mm, what's going on here? And then I think the, the other aspect of it, and this is why sometimes, you know, the best thing to do is just cut it all out is just, if something's said and you originally think someone ha was saying a joke and then later on you find out that, okay, maybe they're, they're not who you thought they were, then like all of a sudden in your mind, you'll think about all those times, right? So I, it, it's a really funny one. And there are, I definitely feel like sometimes I kind of give the feeling or give the, the look like, all right, cut that out. And then sometimes I just like, move on from it um i think I, i'll find it interesting to see what i do in the upcoming seasons I, I i i wouldn't be surprised if myself and other black people are probably a lot a lot less forgiving of things that overstep the, the, the boundary um that's a good it's a good point Luke, what you said there because if if you don't put the foot down people could just do that to any black person like obviously if they don't know they're doing anything wrong then they're just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, again, it's one of those things where there's an element of, um, there's an element of, there are some things which can be corrected. And if they can be corrected to an extent, they can be forgiven, I, I would potentially say. And there are some things which can't be forgiven and kind of speak more potentially to your inner feelings. And so I think that's also the, the kind of the line which each individual will have to have to toe it and 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 decide how they feel about that. But there's a hundred percent an aspect yeah, yeah. of okay, I know you were trying to be fun, funny. I, I'm willing to forgive you for trying to be funny, but you're going to get a correcting. And mm. if you take that correcting, and we we can you know we can yeah. all move on, that's all great. Like it's still all laughs and banter. That's fine. But if you're not willing to take that correcting, or if you clearly overstep yeah. the mark then we have a different type of conversation to have um so yeah I, I mean you know with all this stuff you know the point isn't to make people walk on eggshells around you because you know i promise you promise you myself yeah, and your black friends are much more tired of talking about race than you are but you know this entire conversation we've had mm. for, for how long we, we've been online is about right. how you change you know, the big picture. And unfortunately, all these little things add up. So people have to be willing to understand that they might get corrected. 
but as long as they're willing to to help it, and like I've said earlier on, and like people are seeing it, and the phrase that's being used is to be an ally. You know, I I don't expect you you know I don't expect James to to be black tomorrow and live the full black <laughs> experience, but. Yeah. You know, I know that I could trust James that if we went out and something happened and someone did yeah. something and I said, this is what happened, whatnot, he would back me and kind of help to correct the person or address the situation. That's being an ally. Um, and then obviously kind of making yeah. your own personal changes so that you aren't part of the problem wherever you, you can do. So hopefully that's what people do. Makes complete um, sense. So yeah. And the... Um encouraging aspect out of all of that i think that was the plural on seasons i totally missed that you, you've, heard, you've heard it here first Mushy. we're not cutting that bit out for sure reese uh reese will be very very happy to hear that yeah how are you how are you feeling otherwise health health wise um, all good i mean it depends on how you describe good uh, i've gained about 55 pounds maybe not that <laughs> but you know i've been a very good uh and i'm definitely not moving back in the scrum next year uh, <laughs> until i've done some running yeah just not moving anywhere else <laughs> yeah, exactly. issue, isn't it? So, a lot less <laughs> kicking from larry which some people might like yeah when the five aside starts up or the the football starts that's a good way to hope whenever that is maybe sooner than rugby so maybe that'll be uh, on the cards yeah fingers crossed, fingers crossed. I'll, I'll be out there i'm um yeah i it, it, that has definitely been a thing about this lockdown, just um, not realising just how much of a an a, a outlet rugby was, yeah. you know, obviously very involved and whatnot, but you kind of take it for granted. It's just like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, missed it, missed it. Missed you lot, right? Oh, too kind. If I could blush, Larry, I would, but yeah. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> So we're at the end of the episode, obviously triple threat round, flip a coin, loser has to do with a song, a story or a joke. And seeing as I was a loser last week, it's fact that I'm our special guest, Larry. So I'm gonna, I'll am flip it on the camera again so you know what I'm doing. But I think it's only right that the guest gets to call it. He's only told me I was going to go. He thinks I've got a system. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be Tails. Tails. Off you go, Factor. Appreciate it. I was so confident. I didn't think about what I was going to do for this. Okay, we'll do. I'll go to my go-to. Larry, do you remember uh, at the Armory House you put me on the spot to yeah, sing I a song? I do that. I do that. I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> you do that often. I'll do that. Okay. <clears throat> They're about supporters. Okay. It's amazing how you. Can speak right to my heart without saying a word. You can light up the dark. Try as I may, I can never explain what I hear when you don't say a thing. The smile on your face lets me know that you need me. There's a truth in your eyes saying you never leave me. The touch of your hand says you'll catch me wherever I fall. You say it best.
When you say nothing at all. Very, very good. That's all you get. Very good. I, I don't know how that's going to come out when I started, but I love, I love the eye contact as well. There was moments where you, you really, you close your eyes, you fell <laughs> it, and then next thing you're quality. looking at me, Larry, gazing like, oh, <laughs> oh, great, oh man. But I want to say, obviously, thank you, Larry, for popping on. Like, it's obviously a very topical conversation, and takes big yeah. balls, mate. And we're glad you accepted the invite. No, mate, uh, in all honesty, it's it's easy for me to talk about this stuff. The thanks really goes to you two for, for kind of standing up and kind of taking the first steps to to kind of being a good ally. So appreciate it, both of you. Mate, you've always got an ally in us, mate. We've come to the end of an episode longer than potentially expected. But we make no apologies for this as we felt it was a topic that we can shy away from and shorten. Please like, share and subscribe to the podcast as well as following us on both Twitter and Instagram at All Chats Pods.